Hey there everyone, thanks for checking in. I had the opportunity to sit down with Bob Moore at the locally owned and operated coffee shop in downtown Humboldt, Tennessee, where owner-operator Guy Causey was able to sit in too and participate from time to time between serving customers, of course. Bob Moore is running to be the next mayor of Gibson County against six other people during primary elections May 3rd. As I said, our conversation took place in a public atmosphere, so you will hear the background sounds of the real world with all of its rustic and authentic charm, at least in my opinion. I love capturing, or trying to, these conversations and dialogues and sharing of thoughts in the real world, not filtered or separated from where most of us reside, because this is what is most common to us, the majority of voters. This is our norm. Recording in the field, of course, provides its own set of challenges from a technical perspective, like loud noises from any number of things, frequency, feedback, machines, equipment, planes, trains, and automobiles, little John Candy reference there for you over 35 years old. But at the same time, it is these very things that make the whole experience true with all of its grit. A recording from the field might require you to adjust your volume once the conversation gets started, but after that, you'll be able to sit back and listen in comfortably and may even feel like you're in the cafe with us. Listen in on a real conversation with someone running for a very important role and get to know Bob Moore running for Gibson County Mayor. stayed in Trenton till 1991, Trenton and Dyer lived between those two places, until 1991 when I moved to Humboldt. Um, my grandfather had started a business in Trenton in uh, 1944, Brothers Plumbing, him and his brother, and my father and I took that business over when my grandfather passed away, and I worked with my dad until 91 when I came to Humboldt, but uh, we... Uh, we had that plumbing business there and, and enjoyed it, but it was just kind of, I saw my dad getting older and he was wanting to do something different. So I went into the utility business, um, worked at Gibson County Utility for a year in engineering and inventory, and then actually was superintendent for gas water and wastewater. Projects at three-way going on at that time and had a lot going on in town and the infrastructure, rebuilding it. Was that back when Humboldt tried to annex? Three-way? Uh, yes, it was. Uh, we actually ran all the utilities to three-way at that time, and it, and it ended up uh, we had to sell the utilities to uh, Jackson. JEA bought it after three-way incorporated and made their own town. Mm. So, okay. small town dynamics. Uh, tell us a little bit about you know what's what sort of you said you were an engineer or you were no I worked in engineering I was an engineering assistant so okay. Um, Tell us a little bit about your business and educational background and you know how did you get to the place where you are now? Like what were some of those formative experiences? Well the plumbing business, like I said, I was born into it from that time prepared me for the utility side of things where uh, I 
it's not exactly the same, but it is. I mean, there's a lot of things that overlap each other, which prepared me to be able to walk into that role. And then, uh, and then I went into sales. Uh, I traveled Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky, and Mississippi. And in uh, 2007, I actually bought into four Domino's Pizza franchises and uh, was still traveling during that time. And uh, of course, we went through 08 and 09, which was very tough. But uh, I managed to, I actually got laid off from my sales job and managed to keep all four stores open and didn't lay anybody off during that time. And um, then I managed to uh, get back into sales again and uh, I ended up selling them in 2013. I sold out of the franchises, but uh, we managed to make it through the hard times. and. Uh, so that really prepared me a whole lot for business because I had to learn to juggle sure. uh, things. I mean, supply chains were, were very tough at that time. Uh, things went up tremendously. Um, and I had a lot of young folks working for me that I knew were struggling and I didn't want to do anything to disrupt their lives. So I actually was putting money into the company myself mm -hmm. to keep it alive and we managed to uh, to keep it alive and sold it to some different franchisees and uh, I think they're doing pretty well now and uh, now I'm totally in, into sales right now as far as um, professional wise. Um, I, uh, I do have the whole southeast, I'm the southeast region sales manager for a company out of New Jersey. When I took over here 13 years ago they had no one in the south. They, we now have a warehouse right here in Humboldt, Tennessee, good old Gibson County. That's the kind of business-wise what I've been involved in most all of my life. Tell us what. Tell us more about your business here. Like what? What is exactly is that? We are a cathodic protection company. We protect steel structures, especially in the natural gas industry. Um, we sell different components to make sure that your, your pipe is safe. It is protected from rusting and, and, and going back to its natural state. And uh, it's a very interesting um, concept. Uh, cathodes, anodes, uh, you can look that one up. But, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just a, a matter of nature making it work for you and taking care of your infrastructure. Okay. And we also deal with some uh, structures such as dams and, and also towers, things like that. We work from... Uh, I've been to the lab at Bethesda, Maryland, uh, on the the Navy, uh, quite top secret place. So it's been very interesting working with them and uh, work with the Army Corps engineers and then major utilities all over the country. Okay. So it's it's a lot of fun. So you you've spent some time outside of Gibson County. Oh, very much. Uh, pretty much every other week. <laughs> okay. Um, how many people did you say the company here employs? In, in Humboldt, we only have me, but in the whole South, we have about five or six employees, okay. which are, includes salesmen and manufacturing and, and then facility managers. Like I said, we had zero here 13 years ago when I came on board, sure. and uh, we've been able to grow the business that much. And just sounds like uh, you might have some interaction with EPA. Is that? Oh, very much so. Okay. Uh, matter of fact, we deal with some service stations with their tanks, protecting their tanks. So there are EPA regulations involved there, and uh, 
most of the time the contractor or the utility has to deal directly with them, but we do have to make sure that some of our products we have, things like two-part epoxies, things like that, and they are considered somewhat corrosive before they are applied, and we have to make sure we handle those properly as well. Okay, it's very interesting. Um, any, any other sort of special interests you have, like not politically, but you know, what do you do for fun if you're not working and uh, hitting the street and campaigning and stuff, you know, what sort of hobbies or stuff like that do you do? Well, youth are been always been a specialty in my heart. From the time I moved to Humboldt from Trenton, uh, I started working with youth at uh, what was First Baptist Church, Sugar Creek now. And uh, we went to a church in Milan to keep it open. We were asked to come over there, and we've been there. And I work with the youth there, and I uh, spend a lot of time there. Uh, I also am involved as the men's ministry leader for uh, Gibson Baptist Association. So I work on men's events, things like that. And one of the things that's really, really special to me, I work with Fellowship of Christian Athletes as a character coach. Okay. We were able to have what's called the Fields of Faith last year. We Just our first year, we had like 600 people there. And uh, this year, we've already started on, on October of this year. And we have a fellow that you probably have heard of around here, Mr. Steve Gaines. All right. He's, uh, he's going to come be our speaker this year. And his faith was uh, very much influenced by Fellowship Christian Athletes. So we're looking forward to that. But he's a pastor of Bellevue? Bellevue Baptist Church. Okay. Yeah, he's a union grad, I think. I think that's correct. Yeah. I think he grew up in Dyersburg, up in that area, and played football up there. And okay. Yeah, uh, I know his son, Grant, he and I were at Union at the same time. I think he's, I know he's a pastor, I can't remember where he was, in Jackson, Calvary Baptist. Last Jackson, I heard, that's correct. And then he moved, I think, to Murfreesboro, I think, last I heard. Well, uh, for us average folk, you know, we're not involved in politics necessarily. I'm not, uh, but so I don't really know the roles of a Gibson County mayor. What what can you tell me and people like me who don't really know the nuances and the responsibilities or limitations of the role of a county mayor? Well, the county mayor, uh, a lot of people don't understand when it comes to meeting with the commissioners. We have like 25 commissioners here in Gibson County and they are the ones that vote. The, uh, the mayor doesn't even have a vote unless there's a tie. And uh, very seldom will that ever happen. But uh, the mayor is the face of the county and he is the influencer. Uh, he's the one that needs to get out in public, figure out what the needs of the county are, bring them back to the commission, and just interact with the people. Uh, his responsibilities mostly include overseeing the day-to-day -day operations of the, the county, and I don't mean that by interjecting into day-to-day, -day, other than making sure that everyone has what they need as far as you take our sheriff and all the other, they're all elected officials. They don't necessarily report to the mayor, but then the, he is responsible to make sure about their uh, you know, budgets, things like that. So. You know, it's just a, an overseer role, kind of, but yet you have such a responsibility to go to, like, Nashville, meet with uh, legislators up there and try to bring things to your county and work with, uh, we have a, a, a young man here named Kingsley Brock 
that's doing a tremendous amount of work to bring in uh, businesses and, and industry to Gibson County, and uh, he has worked wonders. Mm -hmm. And working with him and, and the Chambers of Commerce, uh, I feel very fortunate. I already have a good uh, relationship with the Chambers. I try to attend their meetings and all those things, and we have some very interesting uh, people in those positions that it's a Milan, Humboldt, and Gibson, Greater Gibson County Chamber. Those ladies work well together, and I can see a future if we can all pull together. Uh, matter of fact, my logo is One Gibson County, One Heart. I believe what's good for any part of Gibson County is good for all of Gibson County, and we need to, to develop that mindset that we need to all work together. And to me, that's the mayor's job, is to make sure that we're trying to pull together for the betterment of all of Gibson County and not just one particular area or something. There are some areas that get a little more attention because of just the momentum. But you still have to keep digging for the other parts of Gibson County. Uh, take, for instance, the north part of the county right now needs some industry up that way. They need to be, we need to be searching out to put something up there to help those folks. Because I know they, they've had, um, you know, had some industries leave in the past and things like that. So to me, the mayor's job is to be out helping and looking for those kind of things to make sure Gibson County is a better place north to south, all 600 square miles. It's, uh, <clears throat> yeah, there's a lot there because you know, there seems to be, I, th I know there's a lot going on in West Tennessee. Um, me being in real estate, I hear these things here and there. And it, it feels like it's West Tennessee's turn to develop like Middle and East Tennessee have done, you know. Um, East Tennessee got Volkswagen. Um, Middle Tennessee has the music industry, of course, and tourism, and uh, I think it was, was it Smith and Wesson, one of those guys, relocated from Massachusetts down to East Tennessee, and then we'll get the Ford plant coming to West Tennessee in Haywood County, and you know there's there's already a lot of movement uh, with investing that I see from a realtor's perspective. Um, how can we prepare for the growth and development? What sort of needs need to be met, in your opinion? Maybe infrastructure or something like that uh, for our county, you know, because we're close to it. You know, this is this is already influencing and impacting, you know, the the landscape, so to speak. Well, I think you being in real estate, one of the first things we've got to look at is housing. Mm -hmm. We don't have appropriate housing now for what we have, and. Uh, I know at the commissioner's meeting yesterday, Kingsley was talking about he was going to try to get into learning more about developing housing, you know, and get because he's mostly industrial, but the Chambers of Commerce are looking into uh, attracting developers here to get more housing, you know, anywhere from medium to, to uh, high-end housing because FedEx is going to bring in a lot of folks. Uh, the, the Blue Oval is going to really impact our area because I think you're going to see most people that move in with them are going to want to be in a setting like Gibson County offers. Mm -hmm. And I think to be prepared for that, number one, is housing. Number two, we need to be in Nashville saying, okay, you put all these mon us money in East and Middle and West Tennessee, East Tennessee, excuse me, with all your roads and infrastructure, 
we have some great four lanes running through Gibson County right now, but they stop once they get out of Gibson County. We need those finished. We need those avenues to make sure we've got those corridors to the main arteries of the interstate system. We have a railroad system here that runs down uh, Highway 45 that connects to five major railroads. We need to make sure we're utilizing that avenue as much as we possibly can. And one of the ideas I have stuck in my head that I think I would think we need to at least be pushing in Nashville is maybe taking the highway out here and, and going all the way to 412 and making it four lane from, get, from Humboldt through Gaston to 412. And that way we can get to I-55, we can get to I-40 and not have to go through Jackson that way. And that gets us closer to the Blue Oval and gives us an opportunity to build things here that supports the, the Blue Oval. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting thought. I didn't think about a four lane from Humboldt through Gadsden to open it wide open. But uh, what what compelled you to run for county mayor? Well, if I tell you the selfish reason, I have five grandkids and I want to stay home with them. I travel all the time. The the reason from my heart is because I love Gibson County. Gibson County has been good to me my whole life. I've lived here my whole life. Uh, it was good to my grandfather. They had a great business at one time. They were doing all the plumbing for the Holiday Inns that were being constructed. I mean, north to south. And it has offered me an opportunity to have a great life with wonderful people. Uh, and I'll say just, I'm not saying it because you're sitting here, but your family is very special to me. I mean, they've always em embraced us as well as the whole community. When I moved to Humboldt, I did have family here, but you know, a lot of times when somebody moves in a small community, you don't fit in right away, and we were accepted, and, and, and it's just been, I have been blessed to have the life I have. I am so fortunate, and I want to give back. And so those thoughts and a few friends pushing on me, <laughs> sitting at the lake and uh, I'm going to mention you Stacy Miller uh, she pushed me kind of to do this and uh, she just talked to me about it and encouraged me that if that's what I wanted to do that I needed to pursue it and and uh, I'll tell you it's been a ride but it's been such fun I have reconnected with people I hadn't seen in 20 years and it just reminded me of how much I do love Gibson County so Yes, there is a selfish reason I want to stay home, be with my family, and, and, and finish out my career being around the people that I love without having to leave every week. But the other reason is because this is where my heart is. And like I said earlier, my logo is one Gibson County, one heart. Yeah. And uh, I, have to, I have to give kudos to my friend Dorlin Lowe. She's the one that painted my logo for me. Okay. Well, uh, I know my family bought a lot of pizza growing up, me and my two younger brothers. Um, and my dad traveled quite a bit, so we ordered, it seems, Domino's at least two to three times a week through my high school years. And, you know, you know how teenagers can eat. You have, you have a couple of sons, don't you? I have three sons. Three sons, okay. Yeah, so you know what forces we can be when it comes to appetite. Um, moving to something a little more challenging, I think, um, is the relationship between government and the people and in the context of a pandemic. You know, we're getting through the COVID pandemic. 
Uh, it seems some media outlets really are hanging on to that and really trying to keep that alive. Um, heard in the media <clears throat> the past couple days now they're saying there's another variant, Delta Prime. Um, and what are your thoughts on what happened through COVID and the lockdowns and, you know, what, what might you do as county mayor if the federal government says, okay, we need a lockdown again, or kind of you hear that messaging? What, what are your, what's your perspective on that? Well, my perspective on that is the fact that, you know, I'm as proud of Tennessee for not making anybody mandate because I believe in choice, but I believe in responsibility as well. Uh, and I know COVID is real. I lost my father to COVID. And uh, the thing about it is, I feel like if I'm not going to wear a mask, if I'm going somewhere where people are susceptible, I need to be responsible. And lockdowns, I don't think they did any good from a business standpoint. We hurt small business. And uh, that's one thing that we have to rebuild in our country, not just our county, but small business because they're the backbone of America. And we, we put such a halter on them that they couldn't operate. And I would like to see us operate under a system where you have your free choice to do what you need to do, but you need to be responsible, first of all, for yourself. Second of all, for the people around you. If you're going into that situation, just be smart. Be respectful of others. I mean, to me, I wouldn't walk into a nursing home right now if they asked me to wear a mask because of what's going on. I would put one on. Mm -hmm. But, that, you know, because of the situation. And it, but as far as mandates, things like that, and shutting down things, I disagree with that 100% because, look, you, I've been in small business, and, and you have as well. Small business always comes up with a way to make it work. Right, yeah. And that, that was my big concern when we started to hear, not so much in Gibson County, but I mentioned to you on the phone um, the difference between it seemed how Gibson County and Madison County, our neighbor, handled all that. The, the responsibility the local government through by means of the federal government, it seemed, were, were putting on small businesses. And I know small business owners in Jackson in Madison County that uh, they're still not sure they're going to make it. You know, they, they have been impacted so deeply by loss of kind of the flow of their customer base coming in the front door. Um, I'm thinking restaurants. I don't want to name names, but um, you know, background in restaurants and, you know, restaurants were hugely impacted and still are. Um, like you said, small businesses can find a way because to be a small business owner requires you, demands you, commands you to be creative from the get-go. You have to think of an idea and then kind of grow the idea, implement, and open the doors for the, the customers. All that is creativity. And um, I don't really personally agree that you know local government should dictate to a small business how they should do their business even in a pandemic because we we have to keep the lights on we have payroll to meet. you know if insurance insurance didn't stop property tax didn't slow down um you got all this overhead and 
uh, so, you know, a lot of restaurants did go to like curbside service and stuff like that. And um, some of that I think came from the pushback of small businesses like we can't stay closed so the compromise was okay well you can open you can do curbside and whatnot um just my kind of rambling thoughts on that but um a big problem i did identify when those decisions were being made um was you know this is we're talking about gibson county in large part but Gibson County in uh, some ways is impacted by the decisions made in Madison County because it's a bigger county. Um, when those businesses there were told, you know, you have to make sure your customers wear a mask. And the, the penalty was if your customers are not wearing masks, the employer could be fined. And so I called and I talked to the person at the health health department there, uh, Kim, Kim Tedford. She was a... Uh, um, person, you know, the mayor of Jackson was talking to, and they had these, you know, virtual committees and stuff, so I was watching that, and she returned my phone call, and uh, we had a good half-hour conversation about all of that, but the one question that really resonated with me, the answer to the question was, um, actually, the question was, were there any small business owners on that committee or on that panel that made the decision that employers would be fined if the customers didn't wear the mask and the answer was no there's no small business owner you know offering their voice and their input you know kind of giving their perspective on the challenge it's kind of like you know you hear these ideas and government doesn't really understand the challenge of implementing the idea you know the re the reality um, the unrealistic um, thing that you know it's just not going to happen I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tell a customer to leave my business if they're not wearing a mask, even in a pandemic. But you know, we could talk hours about all of that. Well, I really think though we shouldn't involve politics as much as we should facts in making mm -hmm. those decisions. I think in that case, if if I had been Gibson County Mayor at that time, I would have liked to have seen have a small business forum and say, how can we work together to make sure this works for all of us? I mean, you said something that really hit home with me there. Why were there no small businesses contacted on this? Because again, small business is the backbone of our country. And when you put small business out, you know, you've seen here in town how before, you know, town was dying a little bit, you know, and it's been revitalized now, and how much difference. Even the place we're sitting right now has brought life back into this town. And everywhere I go, I hear people talking about this place. I hear people talking about downtown Humboldt. And I know from working with the Strawberry Festival so many years how much difference I see. I see progression, and progression is great as long as it's done in the right way. I think sometimes you can get the cart before the horse. And as long as you're trying to make an informed decision, and I will say this, not a political decision, it needs to be an informed decision. I know so many times, I always told my people, if I tell you something that's wrong, it's not because I was trying to mislead you, it's because I either did not have the correct information or I was misinformed. And I think that's the way it should always be, is there's gonna be times when we're wrong, but there's gonna be times when we just need to sit down together and work together instead of just saying, 
one one jacket fits all of us because it doesn't. Closer related to small business is education, in my opinion. And this very challenging dynamic. Um, my mom was a public school educator for multiple decades. Um, I went through the public school system here. Actually, I started in New Orleans and then lived in Chicago and then I moved here. So I've been through a handful of different school systems. But it seems to me that COVID kind of diminished and lessened parental rights in a lot of ways. You know, it's this dictate from maybe the Department of Education by means of just DC lobbyists and uh, you know, mask mandates and having kids wear masks all day, every day for so, so long. Um, what's your opinion on on that as far as should a school system have the authority to impose on kids to wear a mask all day? What, what about the parents' opinions? The parents are I think the parents have all the rights in the world. You're the one that brought them into this world. You're the one responsible for them. There should be an opportunity to go sit down with your school board and if your school board's not listening to the people that elected you, same thing as a, as a county mayor. In my case, if I was sitting in a county mayor and I wasn't listening to the people that elected me, then then that's a problem because you should be listening to the people. This is the people's school, this is the people's county, this is the people's town. You're there to represent every one of them and everyone should have a voice. And I totally believe that we're gonna see long-term effects from these children having masks on. And I, I was at a, at a meeting Saturday night and uh, Miss Lisa Piercy spoke and she talked about, you know, the long-term effects and she just said, we don't know yet. Mm -hmm. And she's right, we don't know, but you can't help but think that there's gonna be some effect from it. And as- Who is uh, Lisa Piercy? She is over the Tennessee Department of Health. Okay. And uh, her, I, I, uh, her dad and, and mom were friends of ours in, in high school and, and they were neighbors of mine at one time. And, and uh, She's uh, a very learned lady, uh, and uh, just, she's a doctor as well. And But she was telling us some, some things about, she was so proud of Tennessee, how we did not put the mandates out there, you know, it, that it just wasn't mandated, that everybody got to do their own thing. And I just think part of the problem, as you mentioned too, about teachers, we've taken the authority away from a teacher, just like we have some of our law enforcement people, and that needs to be reestablished. I don't, think anyone deserves to be mistreated, but I don't think a teacher or, or, or a law enforcement person or a first responder needs to be mistreated either. They need to be respected. And I always taught my boys, which like you, when two of my boys went to school here in Humboldt, graduated from Humboldt High School. My other son graduated from Peabody, like Seal and I did. And uh, I always taught them there's two words in life, and that's respect and responsibility. You respect others and you're responsible for yourself. And if you can do those things, the world's going to be a better place around you. And I, I think that's a lot of our problem in our schools is we've taken discipline out of schools. We've even taken it out of the home to some degree. I mean, I know parents that have been in trouble for spanking their children, and no one should ever mistreat a child. But, you know, there, there's got to be some level playing ground to where we can 
get law and order back in our homes and in our towns and cities and counties. You know, it, that's that's been a big problem, I think. You know, during you brought up uh, the the challenges of getting through the years 2007, 2008, 2009. I remember a Wall Street Journal article on you know the housing bubble and how there was um, one city in the country growing like crazy, and that was Washington D.C. You know, so while the nation was going into recession. The federal government was increasing leaps and bounds in size and impact. And do you see do you see that playing out here? Uh, like how you know think back maybe to how this this country was founded and the federal government was designed, or the hope was that it would remain small and that the states would maintain a larger portion of government's responsibility. Do you see that flipping in any way? Has it? Um, has, do you feel like the federal government has more control over Gibson County than Gibson County has over Gibson County? I don't think it's as bad here as it is other places. I think it's headed this way. If we don't, if we got to be proactive, uh, I think the federal government has too much overreach right now. I think they're uh, way too heavy-handed with some things. I agree, we need the federal government, but. I know the state of Tennessee is, uh, you know, we're in good shape financially. We don't have an income tax here. And I, I have to applaud our, our legislative people for the last few years of implementing some things that have really kept Tennessee from sliding off into the realm you're talking about where big government has all the control. We didn't accept some of the monies that they were handing out and we were criticized for it. But yet here we are today, we're looking better than a lot of other states. And that's what I see that Gibson County has to do, is we have to make sure we're on the same page, all of us, from the state level down to the, the city level, that we're all working for the same common goal, and that's for our people to be in charge of electing the people that will make it better for them by listening to them and implementing the will of the people. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you said, that's why, that's what government was put together for, is to represent as a whole, not as a part. Yeah. And I think we've gotten very segregated over the last 15, 20 years. It's either left or right, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's, it shouldn't be that way. And you don't want to be so far out that you're not listening to either side. I, I firmly believe that everybody has a voice, and I think most people, once you listen to them and acknowledge the fact that you did listen to them, there'll be a lot more peaceful outcome, and, and people will not be so at, at an unrest if you work together. And I feel like that's where the federal government has failed us, is they're just, again, dictating and mandating you're going to do this, you're going to do this, and throwing money at the problem instead of saying, let's fix it. Yeah. Money doesn't solve everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of hard work solves a lot of problems. You know, think about the, the impact, the influence of the federal government, and we talked a little bit about parental rights and education and all that. Um, I'm wondering, is there any way to lessen our, our 
reliance on the federal government in education. Do you see? I mean, can we get back to a, a locally controlled, a completely locally controlled educational system? Well, right now, the Tennessee legislature, Governor Lee, is working on a bill to change the way schools are funded. And just rumblings you hear, some educators really like it, some of them don't. I think the problem we have right now is federal government has such a toehold on us with money that they dictate the programs we can do and, and dictate what we can and cannot do and how we have to do it. Yeah. Nobody can lose. Yeah, and it's just, you know, you're going to implement this program and you can only teach it this way. And I think from what I hear from a lot of educators now uh, is, of course, the problems they have in the classroom and being able to control it is beyond their control. But yet now the government has made it to where we almost cause our teachers to teach to a test instead of teach to people to learn and to carry that with them once they walk out that door. And that's... That's okay, it looks good on paper, but it doesn't look good in the heart of those children walking out that door. We gotta make sure that we're working together with the state to kind of curb some of these things where we can put that money where it needs to be, how it needs to be without anything over your head to say, here's how you're gonna do it. Now, I know some of that has to be done so it's not misspent. You know, we wanna make sure that all that money's going to educate our children as best we can and take care of our teachers and, and, and all that kind of thing because I think, uh, I'm not saying that because guys sitting here, I'm saying it because I feel like teachers are one of some of the most underpaid, under-recognized people that we have. I mean, they take care of a whole class full of kids six, seven hours a day and I think society now expects them to uh, discipline them and everything but yet they won't let them discipline them and they have to tolerate more than you should. And uh, I used to have a sign over my office at Domino's that said, that what you tolerate, you will have an abundance of. <laughs> and I think that's where we are a lot. We've tolerated so much stuff that it's just so overwhelming now that we have to look at how do we go back and fix that. Yeah, yeah, you bring up a good point of teacher's pay and stuff like that. And you know, the, the challenge is always implementing know kind of manifesting the resolution um, you know like I said my mother was a public school teacher multiple decades I've experienced through that you know those experiences uh, that she brought home and whatnot um, how do we how do we get there how do we get to a place where we can pay teachers more or we can pay firefighters more and our civil servants like that, you know, like I think we heard that firefighters get paid less than 15 bucks an hour or something like that. It's, it's pretty insane uh, considering the, the servitude that they, they give our communities. you have any thoughts on that? I do. Uh, the thing about it is, I go back to what we were talking about in business earlier, I think the problem is education. We don't educate the public as to what's happening. We see it in a sound bite. We see it in a little article in the paper. It's just like one of my things that I'm kind of stumping on a little bit is our EMTs. Man, they do such a service, but we don't have enough of them because of part of it's because of pay, part of it's just because not available. But when you take 600 square miles and have seven or eight ambulances, and you have to carry everybody to Jackson, 
or stop in Milan because we don't have any more hospitals anymore and then we don't have enough people to staff them, it's almost impossible. Uh, Mr. Dan Folks out there is doing a great job. I mean, I talked to him yesterday. I've been talking to several officials around and about things like this, and he's working hard to get part-timers in there and everything, but we need a staff, and we need to find out what we need to do to make sure we're paying those people properly. And I know what we did in the utility business is we went around and did surveys, you know, to, and I'd say surrounding counties, what do you pay an EMT? What do you pay a firefighter? What do you, you know, and then we developed a program where it was fair size-wise. And I think most people in Gibson County want to stay in Gibson County. They don't care about going to another county and work, and we would rather them stay here because they're spending their money here. But if we're not going to pay them fairly, they're going to drive somewhere else to work. So. I think there's studies that could be done that could really help us to begin to evaluate what we need to do. Right. It is a challenge, no doubt. Um, consider all that you know, policemen do for the communities and firefighters. And yeah, when I heard through word of mouth that you know, firefighters, their pay is just—it's—it's it's, it's laughable. In not a comedic way, um, you touched on hospitals, and I think you know those of us who live in Humboldt, we experienced the detrimental effect of losing our hospital to the, the Jackson healthcare system. Um, any ideas on how we can get our hospital back in Humboldt, and maybe I mean just from my perspective as a citizen here concentrated uh, the concentrated conglomerate that is the Jackson healthcare system has only benefited Jackson Tennessee and not the towns around it and I live on the bypass I see the ambulances go from Humboldt to Jackson every day all day all night and but I'm thinking too do I do I want to drive 20 to 30 minutes why, why should I have to drive 20 to 30 minutes if I have a kid that has a busted appendix or something like that? I, I, uh, it's funny that you bring that up because, uh, and again, not in a laughable way, but uh, I was out with the Humboldt Rescue Squad one day talking to Jerry Privet, and uh, radio went off, and he said, you want to go with me? It was like 8.15 that morning. I said, yeah. We came to Humboldt, and a man had fallen in McDonald's. We got here in about seven minutes. Man had fallen, he had a colostomy, he was headed to the doctor and just his blood pressure just dropped and he hit his head in the floor in there. And we got there and, and of course Jerry was administering first aid to him and everything. And I'll have to say, Dan folks drove from Trenton real quick because it took 32 minutes for an ambulance to get here from Bradford. Wow. Because all of our ambulances were in Jackson. Mm. We go over there, our, our gurneys sit there for maybe two hours and we can't get them back. I, I just think there's a solution somewhere that we go sit down with West Tennessee Healthcare and say, hey, can we at least buy some more gurneys and put in here and swap them out and leave these guys with you or what? You know, and hey, we can come back and get them, but we're not serving our county if we're sitting here in Jackson, Madison County. I got three ambulances sitting out there. And the Ambulance Authority also does, uh, you know, like a nursing home, if they just have to be transported over for a visit or something. 
They do that. Matter of fact, they just did a new contract with a new business in, in Medina yesterday. And it, it just has to be done. But I mean, the thing about it is, we're working these people to death, and they're doing the best they can do with all they have to do with. But yet, it just seems like West Tennessee Healthcare has no no skin in the game. I'm not saying they don't, but it just appears that way. So I think, as as a mayor of Gibson County, we need to go sit down with the CEO of West Tennessee Healthcare and say, "Hey, we've got a problem. What do we need to do to fix it?" And I think that could be done through negotiations without it having to get to a, you know to to you know elevate to a. a you know, a law uh, situation, you know, so. You think um, maybe Gibson County, it, could Gibson County get the place where we put out a call for a healthcare service provider to come and compete against the Jackson healthcare thing, uh, oh. entity? I mean, I know that they, David Goliath scenario, but we know how that turned out in the Bible, right? So, um, I mean, why? That's one, one solution. Maybe to try to work it out with them. Maybe another solution could be trying to recruit a competitor to provide the services we need in the smaller towns outside Jackson and Gibson County. Well, I know, and and my daughter-in-law works at one, and I'm not. I think they're great. These clinics that are popping up everywhere—they're great, you know, for a cold or things like that. But if you know, if you've got, like you say, an appendix or, or a heart attack or something, and you got to wait 20, 30 minutes for an ambulance just to get to you, and then another 20, 30 minutes to get to Jackson, you know, I mean, you, you might not make it. And I'm like you. I believe you try negotiations first. If that doesn't work, then you go you go recruit. I just can't help but believe. I know those people over there are smart people, and, and they they understand there's a problem. Uh, the problem is, what are we going to do to fix it? And I think if you point the problem out and you let them know you're serious, that they will talk to you and you can come to a solution. But then if not, like I say, you go you go looking. I think that's what you do. One challenge with the whole healthcare system um, might be the growth of the administration component to the whole operation in ratio to the doctors, the nurses, and stuff like that. Um, I don't have hard numbers on them, but I could probably find them. I do remember when I was a, pro a professor in university that I'd seen this study where the growth of the administration in academia had grown like 60% over a 10-year period. And so that's why they were, universities um, nationwide were hiring fewer and fewer full-time faculty. They were supplementing with adjunct instructors and to so they don't have to pay as much in salary and stuff like that the consequence is you don't get as rich of an education and i think maybe the same thing could be going on in the healthcare department where the administration has gotten so big that the services that are able to be rendered just can't be there because the money is not being allocated appropriately well, I know part of that because I have a lot of friends that are nurses, is they're working with death. Yeah. I have one friend that stays over there a couple nights a week. She didn't come home, mm -hmm. and and uh, they have a floor where they have a place. But I think the biggest thing too is you go back to some of these mandates that they put on healthcare workers. You know, I mean, 
that is ridiculous in my mind. These are the people that stood in the fire the whole time. And now you want to tell them you got to do this or you're gone? Excuse me, who are you? You know, that's my question to them. Who are you? They stood in front of, they stood in the gap. And you're standing back here with your little mask on telling everybody what to do is, wait a minute, let's make sure we take care of these people. I think they're smart enough that they kept themselves healthy through all this, that they ought to be able to, to take care of themselves now that we seem to be on the other side of this pandemic. Right. And uh, again, that goes back to what we talked about earlier about mandates and things like that. I, I think it's got to be a personal choice. You're going to, we have a natural ability to want to survive. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to what we're talking about. Business, small business will find a way to survive whatever it takes if you will allow them, if you'll get out of their way. And I know I've seen too many friends, I've seen too many businesses survive through hard times, whatever, just because people got out of their way and let them do their thing. Because most business people, if they're in business, they have enough sense to figure out, hey, I have to change course here to make this work. Or if I don't know what to do, I know somebody and they're not afraid to ask. Mm -hmm. I've always told my kids, the only dumb question is the one you don't ask. And uh, that's the one that will get you in trouble a lot of times. Um, any thoughts on inflation? You know, that's, that, I think I heard this morning 7.6%, but I also heard if it was rated the same way it was in the 80s, it'd be closer to actually 15%. It would be, and I, I know, again, it goes back to education. We're not telling our people exactly what's what. They don't understand what's causing it, and some of it is bureaucracy. I think, again, we got to get the government out of the way and let people do business as long as it is safe, effective, and, and, and timely. But I think our government stands in our way with regulations. And I do want to say this, being in the natural gas industry, when we shut down a pipeline that's bringing oil from Canada and we stop it and we put it on a train and a truck, the same oil coming in a train and a truck now, and we, we shut that pipeline down in the, in the name of the environment. Yet we're putting it on a train and a truck and we're invite, and, and, and it's ruining the environment with pollution from diesel fuel, from, from their, their facts and figures. But yet it's costing us $30 a barrel more to bring it down. That is a cause of inflation. When you stop drilling for one of the most things in the world that we have that is more abundant than any place else in the world, it has been proven that we have enough natural gas reserves here to supply the world, not the United States, the world for a hundred years. So when you stop exploration and all that stuff, you can say, oh, it's the oil companies and all this. Check your facts. Fuel and things like that, they're priced on futures. And when you take the future out of the oil business, there's not going to be any. They're, they're saying there's going to be a shortage, you know or we're gonna to have to buy it somewhere else and pay more for it, then the price is gonna go up. That's the way our world works. And again, the lack of education. We do not educate the people to understand where things come from. Inflation, mandates, all this stuff, we need to know why. And if we knew why, I think we could all make a better informed decision to work together to make it a better place and stop some of this stuff. But as long as there's bureaucracy in Washington, D.C., they're going to pass it down to the rest of us. You know, <clears throat> I think about the uh, 
the far left crazy autonomous zone that they did in uh, Portland and didn't I think they might have done one in Seattle um, also but you know it did give me the idea what if we started thinking more autonomously as a county you know to not not you know secede from the nation but uh, not to go that way and get radical with it but thinking more um, how we can make these decisions as a county and the decisions that need to be made, be made to help prevent the impacts of inflation and the impacts of federal mandates so that the decisions are ultimately made locally. Is that, is that not the way it's supposed to be? You know, we're, we're getting decisions made way off in DC that come this way should we not be making the decisions here and telling DC, no, this is what we're going to do? Any thoughts on that? I think there's some areas that we could probably do that. Again, we have to educate people and bring them and put us all on one page. Uh, again, I go back to my logo, one Gibson County, one heart. If we can learn to be that, if we can learn to be one heartbeat together, we can dictate some of the things we're going to do. Some things we can't, and it's all because of money. I mean, any situation, most of the time, you follow the money, and you'll find out where the root of it is, where it starts and why. But we have to educate our people as to why things are happening, and let's get some ideas together about what we can do to solve this. And there are some areas I think we could dictate what happens in Gibson County instead of letting somebody tell us everything we're going to do. All right. Um, someone sent in a question that they wanted asked or a topic they wanted addressed and it I'd never thought of this actually is a topic of refugees and um, I know Nashville has heard the highest concentration of Kurds um, and there is a, a Somali population in Nashville I've actually we have friends from our church that are ministering to them um, and then Within recent history, the past year or so, we heard that you know, refugees um, and immigrants were being basically dropped off in East Tennessee. That came from our Senator Marshall Blackburn. Um, any thoughts on that? And come impacting West Tennessee? I think with all the industry we have coming in there, it, it could very well be a possibility. I think you need to start the conversation now instead of later. I'd rather be proactive instead of reactive. If this begins to be a thing, what are we going to do to make it where they can assimilate and, and be part of us instead of us conforming to this is Gibson County, this is Tennessee, this is America. And I'm a firm believer that uh, you need to adapt to the ways of where you are. When in Rome, do as the Romans, I guess kind of say. And I, th I think there, there may be some room to but I think it all needs to be planned out and it, and it needs to be worked together with the general population of Gibson County to see how we can make it work. Because, I mean, it's gonna be a reality, I believe. I don't know that, but I believe that it will because it's happening everywhere else. And as with as many people coming into our country illegally, we're going to see more and more of this. But 
if we can figure out a way to where they can be law-abiding citizens and contribute to society and not be a, a drag on society, I, I'm a firm believer you give people a handout, not a handout. Because a handout does not make a better person, does not make a better citizen. It only makes them, you know, what's the old saying that uh, the, the mouse is in great shape as long as the cheese is free, you know. <laughs> but when you get caught in that trap is when the pain begins. And, that's what we have to avoid is let's give people a hand up and not a handout. It doesn't matter where they're from. If they come to Gibson County, if you want to be part of Gibson County, we'll work with you. But if not, we'd rather you not stay in Gibson County because we want to be one. We want to be strong, and we will do everything we can to help you. But, you know, it's just like I always told my kids, too, growing up. When you got a little skin in the game, it's a different game. When I made my kids pay some of their insurance on their car and put the gas in their vehicle, they weren't out burning the tires off their car and they weren't out running around everywhere all the time. I'm sure they did their part, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but when you own part of something, you have a sense of pride about you, whether you know it or not. And I believe when we invest in ourselves, we will begin to have that pride, we will begin to grow, and we'll begin to be what we need to be again. Thing you want to bring up? Sure. Well, I, I, I'm Guy with the coffee shop in Humboldt. Uh, this is almost four years in operation and I've enjoyed it being a part of retired from education. And this is my first big adventure into entrepreneurship. Uh, and we've made it through some real difficult times. Uh, but we've had wonderful support from people in Gibson County as well as North Madison County. We draw people from all around. And I, I hear daily, oh, I wish I had a business like yours. I wish I was doing something like you're doing. And I know, Bob, that you used to be an entrepreneur with a restaurant. Uh, and uh, did you learn anything about entrepreneurship that you would pass on? Because there are so many people I'm going to say anywhere from their 20s all the way through their 50s that say, I want to get involved in my own business. I want to own my business. Well, first of all, I'd like to say you picked the toughest business to get into, <laughs> the food business. Yes. There's so many regulations and stuff. But I will tell you this. I did have four Domino's pizzas, and I loved every minute of it. It's just I could not, at the time we were going through it, 08 and 09, I could not quit my other job, so I could not devote 100% to it. However, I was telling him earlier that we were able to keep all of our employees. We didn't let anybody go. So I would tell you, if you, you want to start a business, the first thing you need to do is make sure that your heart's 100% in it. Number two, be willing to know there's going to be bad times. There's going to be hard times. Are you willing to stay with it? because anybody can quit. But I respect you for what you've been through. Of course, we've known each other for a long time. And I know the difficulties you had because I had them too. And I see the girl that owns Domino's now is suffering through the same things as uh, the workforce is just not there anymore. And what workforce is there a lot of times is not dedicated. And uh, you know, the thing about it is, as we talked earlier when you weren't here is, Small business people find a way to make things work if they truly love what they're doing. If the government will stay out of their way. You have created a business here because you do have businesses from all around Gibson, I mean people from all over Gibson County, North Madison County coming 
because you've created an atmosphere that produces a good feeling about yourself. And people want to feel good about themselves. That's, that's part of it. And, uh, you know, my faith does that for me. But I also know that when I come to the coffee shop, I'm going to have a pleasant experience. And I know that if something happens, guys going to take care of it. And at the end of the day, that's what people want. They want to know that somebody cares. We were speaking earlier, and I said, you know, we can solve a lot of problems by just listening to people. Right. God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. And I know as well as I do, went through this even in church, you know, one time, said, if you will just listen to these people, whether you walk out this door and say another word about it, you have gained their respect because you've listened to them. And then if you respond, whether it be what they want to hear or not, you've created a, a camaraderie there and people want to support that. And I think that's what you've done here is you've created a, an atmosphere that people want to be part of because you listen to what people want instead of what you want. You have your ideas and everything and that's the way it's got to start. But if you're not willing to adapt, then you're going to be sitting here and, and not have expanded how you have with the music and the, and the different foods and things that you're doing now. And it makes a difference to the community because you listen to them and you respond. But that's, to me, that's the thing you have to do is if you're not paying attention and you're not giving 100% to what you want to do, you probably will fail. But you know what? I want to say this too. A lot of people go in business and they fail, but the ones that get back up and try again are the ones that end up being successful. Sure. You, you, you don't win by quitting. And it doesn't mean that because you tried something and it failed, it just means that it wasn't the right time or the right place. And learn from your mistakes and move forward. Because everybody deserves a chance to own a business one time, I think, in their life. Or nothing else, just for the experience they're going to get. And it's invaluable. I mean, the biggest thing is, how many people have you gotten to know that walked in this door now that you wouldn't have known otherwise? Oh, that's the big thing. People from all over. And and I, I want to. I'd like to see more people have that opportunity. You know, we love our city. We love our county. Uh, and I know new things are coming, but also see old buildings, old strip malls that need revitalizing. And there's got to be some way that our city and county governments can incentivize people to renovate and occupy and give it a try, give it a chance. Uh, but uh, it takes a lot of personal work, commitment, finances, uh, and we, we need some ease of regulations to get people started and then help them make the business what it ought to be. Yeah, I could speak a little bit to that is, you know, the startup cost now for a business is exorbitant, especially if you're taking on an old building. You know, I bought 10 sheets of plywood a couple of weeks ago. The cheapest OSB I could find, half inch, was over $35 a sheet. And the same sheet a year ago, a year and a half ago, was $12. It's tripled in a year and a half. So if someone's going to come to these small towns throughout Gibson County and take an old building and try to restore it, know they have that factor the, the financial cost just on the materials and then you know the the regulation 
being opposed to upgrade the electrical and the plumbing and the, the infrastructure. You know, you might have a rafter system that's 24 inches apart when it needs to be 16 inches, but these boards are, you know, 12 inches by 2 inches by 20 feet long. You know, that that adds up so fast. So, anyway, just challenges I can speak to. Well, I really think, though, if we get to looking into it, especially with all this money that the federal government said they're going to put back into infrastructure, there's going to be monies available through grants. And I think you could use some of it for that. I don't know exactly what it would be yet. But, you know, we have to look into those things. And that's something I think the county needs to be doing right now is we need to be seeking grants every day for everything we need. I mean, I've talked about our fairgrounds. I've talked about our animal control shelter. You know, it's not that there's anything wrong with them. It's just they need updating. I mean, you know, we have the oldest running fair in the South, but it kind of looks like it. Mm. I'd like to see us do something there. The animal control shelter was there when I was a child, and it's not in a good place. It's down kind of in the bottom. Uh, I think everybody's doing a great job. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about the people working. I'm just talking about the facilities. And uh, I really think that there's opportunities there. So. But there's a couple of things you have to check when you check the grants. You need to know where they're coming from because there may be strings attached. So yeah, like this this grant that funded the park here on the corner of Main Street and Central has some stipulation in it that we heard about that prevents businesses from selling wine. You know, like you say, you get a restaurant that comes to downtown Humboldt, and they want to do like a kind of fine dining steak and. Um, you know, white tablecloth kind of experience, they're not going to be able to do it within a certain number of feet of that park. And, you know, that 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 violates entrepreneurship, in my mind. You know, it, it prevents the growth and the potential of a town because of that one line item in the grant. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword in some cases. You know, they've always said the devil's in the details. Right. <laughs> Um, I was always told that small business was the backbone of our economy. I had no idea how much income this coffee shop would generate, what sales tax we would generate, what property tax we would generate. I will say there's one tax I resent paying. I know what it is. <laughs> I paid a tax on every item in this store when I bought it, every table, every chair. But to have to every year pay a renewal tax on the contents of my business mm -hmm. is ludicrous. When you look at the increase in sales tax we had during COVID for our whole county, and now we're on the backside and we've got this labor shortage that we're all dealing with and supply shortage, and then ha have to come up with this property tax year after year after year on our contents, tables, chairs, yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous. What if That's you, one way we can easily be given some slack. What, what if you make your tables for your restaurant? You know, well, we, we did. Tax on it. We made ours in our restaurant. Still and pay personal we, property We tax. still have to pay tax on things. We took old doors that were going to be thrown out into the landfill Yes. and scraped them down, painted, topped them with tempered glass, and made tables out of them. And then I get a tax bill. I have to pay on that. You know, if 
you were county mayor, could you fight to have that that, that tax removed for us? I'll just put it out <laughs> we, there. We could start the conversation, I guarantee yeah. you that. I mean, I have found, uh, you know, throughout the years, I don't think I can sit here and promise you anything other than the fact that I will check into it, I'll look into it, and I'll communicate with you about it. Yeah. And that's the way I feel about anything. I mean, if it's, if it's an issue to you, it's, it should be an issue to me if I'm sitting in that seat. And I, I think it's an opportunity to start the conversation. And, you know, I, and it may go to a higher level. And plus, again, like I say, the mayor doesn't have a vote. you got 25 commissioners that are going to decide that. Right. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's something that I want to start. I think the communication from our, our county government could be improved. I don't think there's a lot of good communication there. Uh, I mean, I go to the website and, the, and there's a calendar there, but there's nothing on it. I think every day there ought to be some event that's happening here posted there with a link to it, things like that. There's just so much we could do to educate our, our public. And there might be a forum sometime where we could have a small business forum where everybody comes in and we bring in some state legislators and, and things like that and say, hey, what are your biggest hurdles in your business? But if you don't start the conversation, you're never going to fix it. And it may not be anything that can be done. You know, can't promise you that, but I can promise we can start the conversation and find out what can we do to help help you get further down the road and make your business more productive and, and make more money for you and the county and the state. Sure. How can people find you and learn more about your campaign? Well, you can uh, go to, uh, just go to my Facebook page, uh, Bob Moore for GC. Mayor22.com, and uh, you can also just go to uh, my Facebook page, and I, and I can and just send me a message there, and I can direct you, just Bob Moore, and uh, my wife and I have that page together. We uh, we do everything together. That's something you'll find out about me too. I'm a family person. Uh, like I said, that's one of my reasons for wanting to be here. My selfish side. Three grandkids close, and uh, we finally got a girl. <laughs> Raised three boys and had the first two grandsons were boys. So, and now my other son has got two children down in, uh, he's Lieutenant Colonel in the Air Force, proud of that. And uh, my oldest one is an engineer over PRI in Milan, and the youngest one, Joseph, is over the uh, fertilizer plant. He's their uh, agronomist over there at, at, at Co-op in Trenton. So uh, we're very fortunate to uh, have three young men that are, are serving society and, and their families. and. And uh, yeah, uh, you can you can look me up, and I'll I'll be glad to answer any question you have. But uh, just look me up, Bob Moore on Facebook, Humboldt. We'll hook you up. All right, sounds good. We're just over an hour. Bob Moore for Gibson County Mayor, 2022. When's the election? May the third is the primary. May the third. All right. Thanks for sitting down and conversing with us. Thank you. I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thanks. Well, that wasn't so unbearable, was it? I'm not a professional at this and know that is evident in many ways. I'm just a concerned citizen looking for new ways to be an involved citizen. I always think of 10 to 20 other questions I wish I had thought to ask in the moment. I'm using this podcast format to educate myself on many things, but specifically the multifaceted nature of community at large. So thank you for your time and patience here as this podcast venture continues to develop. Future podcasts will include interviews with other contenders for public office, a political scientist discussing the next presidential election, and a lot more. So stay tuned, and if you'd like to play a key role 
in this podcast development and grassroots approach to getting to know our elected representatives and fellow community citizens, be sure to become a financial contributor. The link is in the podcast homepage. I sure would appreciate it. Best regard, my friends. Thank you.